Welcome back to our CUSE Conversations alumni podcast. My name is John Boccasino, and I am the communications specialist here in the Office of Alumni Engagement at Syracuse University. We are so glad you took the time to find our CUSE Conversations podcast as we bring you compelling profiles of alumni making a difference in their community. On today's episode, we are pleased to bring you an interview with Mary C. Daly, the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. Daly was honored as Syracuse University's commencement speaker, and she has a tremendous story to tell of overcoming adversity. When Daly was 15 years old, she dropped out of high school and did not see a future for herself. That is, until she ran into one of the many rungs on her personal ladder who helped her reach her career goals, Betsy Bain. Bain encouraged Daly to go back to get her GED, and eventually, Daly was able to earn a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, and finally her PhD in economics from the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs. Today, she is one of the most respected economists in the country. We are pleased to be welcoming on Mary C. Daly, the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, to the CUSE Conversations podcast. Mary, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Mary, your story is just inspirational, and it's commendable. You overcame adversity. We all face adversity in life, but you overcame it, you rose up, and now you have this position where you really make a difference in people's lives. I know that it can be a dense topic, the field of economics and economic research. I want to try to pull the curtain back on this topic. How would you explain how you make a difference and how the Federal Reserve makes a difference in the lives of our citizens through its economic policies? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And we often are thought of as an institution that's hard to see through or see into. But you know, we're actually relatively simple. And, and let me tell you why. When you know, our work serves every American, even when they don't know it, our work is on three things. We are um, we are supportive or we're in charge of guaranteeing the safety and soundness of the pay- payment system. So that's our one of our jobs, you know, is protect the safety and soundness of the payment system, how we can exchange. We're in charge, along with other regulators, of ensuring the safety and soundness of the banking system, the financial system. So you've got the payment system, how we do transactions, and the, regul- the financial system, how we lend and borrow. And then we're in charge of the dual mandate, full employment and low and stable prices. And those are about really, if you boil it down into something easy to say, it's about sustaining a strong and healthy economy, a sustainably strong and healthy economy. So if you, you know, we put it right on the front of our lobby. If you walk into our lobby of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, you see a giant uh, poster. And I mean, it's a like a fabric hanging. And it says, our work serves every American and countless global citizens. And so ultimately, what we're doing in the Federal Reserve is we're ser- serving the people. And you serve the, we serve the people we best if we bring our absolute best work. So we're doing all the evidence and analysis and research, and we've got to do those things. But the second part of that, you know, if we did that, we'd be in an ivory tower, and we wouldn't be, you know, really knowledgeable outside of our own echo chamber. So we also go out into the communities. Our job is to go out into communities and collect information from them. How are our policies affecting them? And how are they supporting their lives and uh, businesses? How are they? Um, how are our policies not as supportive as they could be? So that's our part of our job to be in dialogue. And then the final part of our job is to make sure that 
we are educating individuals about what we do so that we can encourage more and more of them to participate in what we're doing, be in that dialogue, and also get the next generation of individuals interested in working. Because ultimately, we're a public service institution, and we need to represent the people we serve. We have to have people around the table that reflect the populations we're here to support and care for. Mary, what made you interested in this field of economics and economic research in the first place? You know, it's an interesting story, which uh, some people find amusing. I know my partner does. She's a psychologist. And when I was an undergrad, I wanted to major in psychology. In fact, I did major in psychology. And then we did our first practicum, where you have to pretend or role play that you're a counselor. And I wasn't so great at that because I'm very driven. I want everybody to do the plan that I we talked about and then tell me how it went. And uh, so my professor came by and said, you know, maybe this isn't the field for you. So I decided to do economics, which is the psychology of the masses. You know, ultimately economics is about people. I find it fascinating how much people seem to learn more, not necessarily from their failures, but from trying something and it not working out, then leading to a different career path, a different direction. You mentioned during an interview the fact that people shouldn't get discouraged if a path doesn't work out for them. You certainly have had a circuitous path to get from where you were as a teenager who dropped out of high school to being the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. Do you ever pinch yourself and kind of wonder, how did I get here? Oh, yes, many times. There's always this sense of, you know, how did this happen? So I've done a lot of reflection on that. And one thing that I think is important for people to see in themselves is that you don't get to where you are despite your circumstances. You get to where you are because of your circumstances. I think we have a tendency, I know I do, to try to overcome setbacks or overcome uh, diversions from our plan. But I would argue and I would uh, suggest that we embrace them. When I became president of the San Francisco Fed and I was going through the process of, of putting my materials together, that really was something I had to accept. I had to accept that the way I got here and the way that I'm able to do my job in the, the way I do it is because of all the experiences I've had. So if you ask me if I would go back and change anything, the answer is no. And I, I think that's a really important message for people to have is that we don't rise above, we rise with. Mary, we are proud to call you an alumna of the Maxwell School here, getting your PhD in economics. What role would you say that Syracuse University and your time here in Maxwell played in your career as a researcher and also in your personal life? What kind of lessons do you look back on and fondly recall from your time here at Syracuse? You know, well, Syracuse came at a great time for me. I was, uh, I had decided I wanted to do economics and public policy. My undergraduate economics professor was a PhD graduate from the Maxwell School and told me it was a great place. And I threw myself into it. And quickly, I, I learned that he was right. There I learned in the Maxwell School and in the Center for Policy Research, I learned that working collaboratively with people from all different walks of life and disciplines and getting yourself out of silos was the best way to do your best work. And I feel that's a decision, or that's a lesson rather, that has helped me in my professional life, but also in my personal life. You know, I'm surrounded by people who are different than me. It makes my life richer and fuller. And it makes my research and all the things I do professionally better and better. 
The other thing I learned that I really got from Syracuse is the sense that it, you do your best work when you have a North Star. And what I mean by a North Star and what I believe my professors meant by a North Star is a, a sense of where you're going. And so when things disrupt you, you don't get lost. You have a, a value system, a, a code of conduct that you stick to regardless of what's happening around you. And if you stay on that path, you can learn and grow and take in differences of opinion, but you have a, a, a approach to the world and a goal of what you're trying to achieve. In my case, in the case of my professors, it was contributing to others that's really important. I also learned that and I saw this again and again, and I again I've I borrowed this in my personal life, and I, you know, I think it's one of the biggest contributors to me being happy, is that you don't have to simply compromise by negotiating until people have given up everything and you just you know collapse. You really can compromise best by using by thinking about how to influence the conversation and also being open to letting yourself be affected by another person's view. So I say around here that my favorite people in my policymaking space are the people who disagree with me. But that is only, I'm only capable of saying that statement because in Syracuse I learned that the people who disagree with you are really helpful when you open your mind to what they have to say. And I learned that that there and I saw my professors exercise that and I've, uh, I've borrowed it and I've used it in my entire career. You mentioned the power of collaboration, working with people and working through disagreements a group might have over a certain policy or a certain research model, and then finding a way to move forward with that policy. I find that fascinating, Mary, that one of your areas of concentration has been improving the ability for women and minorities to enter the economics field, which has traditionally been more of a male-dominant field. It seems like this has changed over the last 10 or 15 years where we're getting more and more access for women and minorities into the field of economics, but it hasn't always been that way. What do you think drove those efforts of yours to want to increase access for women and minorities to get their starts in economics? So, you know, interestingly enough, there's new research out that documents that we've made no progress in the last two decades at increasing the number of women and minorities who get a PhD in the field of economics. We've thus fallen way behind other technical fields like science and engineering and mathematics and physics and biology, etc. So that was a wake-up call to me that despite a lot of um, desire, we hadn't really executed on that plan. So you put that along with the following, which is absolutely true, that you can't do your best thinking unless you actually think with the people who you're trying to serve. So that's true whether you're doing public policy or you're doing uh, private sector work. If you don't have all the people around the table who you're serving or who are going to be affected by your policy, then you don't think of the best ideas for solutions, and sometimes you don't even see the right problems. So it becomes an imperative as a public policy institution that we have the people we're working with, the people we're serving around the table, and that those people have a voice, not just that we're decorating the table with them. They're not optically diverse, but we they have to have influence and they have to be included. So if you put those two things together, we've made little progress despite our desires, and it's an imperative or we can't do our best work, then for me it was an easy, um, 
an easy idea that I have to dedicate some part of my work to inc- improving that. And so we adopted a policy here in the San Francisco Fed of diversity and inclusion, no excuses. We are not going to simply step aside and hope that we'll get new applicants to um, take these jobs for PhD economists, but we're going to go all the way back to high school and certainly into college and try to build that pipeline. And we're going to have to be patient, wait for those individuals to come through the ranks, but we're not going to wait and do nothing. We're going to wait and do something. Thank you for providing that update on where we stand with women and minorities landing jobs in economics. I know that the results haven't quite manifested themselves yet for where you want this project to go, but obviously you're not going to give up on this. I know you're going to keep plugging away and making inroads to open up career paths for women and for minorities. What would you say is your proudest moment or proudest accomplishment so far in your career? That's a hard one, but I'll, I, it's a hard one because there's been so many moments where I've been so happy. But the one that keeps coming back again and again and again to me, and it's happened more than once, is I'm standing in front of a room of college students or sometimes high school students, and... I tell the story about my journey, I tell them that life gives you all kinds of opportunities, and I tell them how they can make a contribution. And I see the light go on in their eyes that was the same light that went on in my eyes when my mentor first told me that. And those are my proudest moments. Those would get me, I would get out of bed every single morning with a smile on my face, and I do, because I have those kinds of opportunities. And you know, one of the reasons I'm so happy to have my job is that it gives me a much larger span to reach more and more people to do for them what Betsy, my mentor, did for me. Open my mind to the possibilities of what I can achieve. I know you're excited to play a role in the lives of our graduates here at Syracuse University who have had the pleasure of listening to your commencement speech. I know that you really care about giving back and making a difference. If you had to boil it down to one piece of advice, what would you tell seniors who are graduating from Syracuse University facing an uncertain economy that while it might be on the rebound uh, and jobs are being created, it still can be in flux, the state of our economy. What advice would you give to someone who is entering the job market? So I'm gonna tell them, anybody listening, what my mentor told me. It served me very well. You have to bloom where you're planted. You have to, wherever you start from, find a way to live your best life there and then move to another place and bring others with you. That's pretty powerful and that's definitely something that resonates. And Mary, if I'm reading you correctly, it seems like that point is all about starting where you are and not getting consumed with the big picture of where you want to be five, 10 or 20 years down the road. You might be working towards those goals now, but what you can do today with where you've been planted to try to get those roots established, that really seems to be the key. Right. If you're blooming, I mean, I believe this fully, and I've, I've lived this life based on the advice of Betsy, and I took it to heart. If you bloom every day where you're planted, then you'll have more and more opportunities. Your world will be richer than you ever imagined. So if you focus on that day, today, blooming where you're planted, you will be successful. And as I tell so many people, you will also be happy. We've had the pleasure here on this Cuse Conversations podcast of speaking with Mary C. Daly, Syracuse University's commencement speaker, and also the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. 
Mary, before I let you go, I have one last question for you, and it's a little bit atypical. We recently launched our podcast with Syracuse University's Alumni Association, and we're bringing alumni news to the more than 240,000 Orange alums across the world. You yourself have a podcast that's going to debut later on this summer. Can you tell our listeners about the podcast, how it began, and what the goals are? Oh, sure. I We are launching the podcast called Zip Code Economies, and that podcast is about the people in our communities of the 12th district and how they're working every day at the zip code level to overcome the challenges, the divides, the difficulties that we talk about so much nationally. And I launched that podcast with my uh, the help of a great team here in, in San Francisco Fed, largely because if you look out at the world today, it can feel very divided. It can feel like people are squared off. And I come from the Midwest and I live on a coast and those divides often feel pretty great, vast, if you will. But at the zip code level, people find a way to get along. They find a way to combine their efforts to make a better life for everyone. And the podcast is about sharing those stories and what we see, and I've done now several of these, I've been to many, many communities, what we see a day in and day out is that these are stories of hope for all of us, because these are stories of people putting their ideas and their best work together and making the community they live in better for everyone. Those things are inspirational. Well, Mary, I feel that our listeners will really be better off for having listened to the interview today on the Q's Conversations podcast. And I want to thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's been quite quite a pleasure. And again, folks, please make sure you go out there and find the Q's Conversations podcast everywhere you go to find your podcasts, including on Spotify and Google Play and iTunes. We look forward to having you tune in and be an active participant with our podcast as we talk with more Syracuse University alumni down the road here on the Cuse Conversations podcast.